Hurricane Ida left more than a million people without power in Louisiana. How to make our homes and buildings more resilient in extreme weather. Covering all the bases. Building resilience in vulnerable communities. Linking data, research, and information to make it happen. This is NTWC Live. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to NTWC Live. It's August the 2nd of 2023, a couple of months now into the hurricane season, and so far so good. Let's just go with that and hope we say that, oh, let's say in November, so far so good. We're hoping at least for that. Uh, good to have you along today. Uh, Bill Reed and Hal Needham are with us, of course. Also today, Leslie Chapman Henderson and Barry Goldsmith. Uh, program about resilience today. I think it's going to be a really good show because that's a serious issue that we're dealing with uh, here where I am, particularly in South Texas, but really all across the country. So it's going to be a good program today. Good to do the program without our sponsors, though. We want to thank USAA. Always a part of what we do. Thank you to USAA from the very beginning, a sponsor of everything we do with the Storm Science Network, uh, from the National Tropical Weather Conference to programs like this and other things we do across uh, across Texas. The South Padre Island Convention Visitors Bureau, South Padre Island, is the host for the National Tropical Weather Conference. We'll be back there again in April of 2024. We hope you'll consider joining us at the Marriott Courtyard Hotel, April of 2024. The weather company, the company that provides the graphics that you, you see on most TV stations around the country, including mine and Alex's and a few others as well. And Weatherboy, Weatherboy, um, again, for 2023, provided scholarships for college students to come to the National Tropical Weather Conference. Uh, they had an open contest. College students came from all over the nation to be part of NTWC, and they could see uh, and, and meet the hurricane experts from all over the globe. So we appreciate all the sponsors who make NTWC Live a possibility. Uh, let's get over to Bill Reed to get started with the program this morning, former director of the National Hurricane Center. Good morning, Bill. Good to see you. Welcome back from Mexico, by the way. Yeah, uh, last week I kind of missed the show because after 24 trips to Mexico and no ill, Ill consequences, Mr. Montezuma found me. So that <laughs> was a different story. And uh, uh, really looking, glad to be back, looking forward to it. Uh, uh, hopefully in the middle of the show, if we have time, I'll give us an update on what to look for this August. But first, uh, I'd like to, it's my uh, pleasure to introduce our first guest, uh, Leslie Chapman Henderson, the president and CEO of the Federal Alliance for Safe Homes, more commonly known as FLASH. Uh, I've, I've known uh, Leslie and her team's work since uh, uh, we uh, 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 collaborated with them on a program called Turnaround Don't Drown, uh, coming up on 20 years ago. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, uh, the thing I like about Flash is they're always on the leading edge of something new and, and pushing improvements. And that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much, Bill and Alex and Tim and everybody. Good to see you, Hal and Barry. Always a pleasure. I um, I have to say that Flash is, is great because we are a um, coalition we are made up of great people like all of you guys, and and Bill has served as a Flash leadership partner for many years. So, thanks for saying the, the lead in about something new because that's what I'm going to talk about today. We have something new, a new tool. We have created something that we think is really going to get to the core of what homeowners and occupants across the country have in hurricane zones and in disaster zones of all kinds, whether it's earthquake, flood, tornado, wildfire. They're always asking us for specific information. So that's what I'm gonna to do today. I'm gonna to talk about that. So I'm gonna share my screen. Actually, I have some, I have a secret helper. Sarah from our team is gonna share her screen. 
and we're just going to talk a little bit about Flash itself real quick if we go to the next slide, Sarah. Just for those of you guys that don't know, we're really excited this year. It's our 25th birthday. And these are some of the leading partners that we have that have been with us throughout and continue to um, make us uh, what we are today. Like I said, a coalition. The main point of this slide is if you're not a partner with us and you'd like to join forces with us, we would welcome you to do so. Um, what we're all about is information that strengthens homes and safeguard families. So you can see why we have the array, and this is just some of the partners, the many partners we have, the array that we have. So let me go right to what I'm gonna talk about today on the next slide. At long last, drum roll please, the flash.org uh, new website. We've talked about it for years. We've, we've known for a long time, this is one of those things, it's like the builder whose house isn't finished, right? We have all these projects we're always doing and completing for others, but we knew that it was time for a, a great undertaking to do a new website because things have changed. And, um, but one thing that hasn't changed is people's need for reliable information. But the trick is they need it custom. So we started and we forced ourselves to take time to do the research with our target audiences, which are primarily consumers, homeowners, renters, and others, residential um, focus on what they can do to make their home stronger, more durable, and more disaster resilient because there are instances where they can stay in a hurricane, for example, if they're not in a storm surge evacuation zone or a floodway, they may be safe, safer and a lot more comfortable staying at home. But you have to know the strength of your home. And if your home hasn't um, got all the attributes it needs, then what you need to do is find out what you can do to change that. So what I'm going to talk about today is the new website and the two tracks that it runs on. All right. We have a very, and I'm going to give some, I'm going to do a couple screen shares and then we're going to jump off the cliff into the site um, and, and dig around a little bit and show you guys some things and then um, leave some time for questions later and then we can play. But basically the website presents two tracks. If you are looking for one-stop shopping, you don't know a single thing about how to prepare for a tropical weather event like a hurricane, you've just moved to an area and learn that this is something you need to know. We have all these peril pages here, as you see at the bottom, okay? Prepare for disasters. This is the homepage at flash.org. On those peril pages, we're giving you the main, um, and well, I guess I'll go down the front page, Sarah, if you wanna just jump to the next one. This is a snapshot of the uh, homepage, okay? So this is the first, um, peril page example, we chose hurricane, but obviously we have flooding and all the other perils that you see there. We did research, we talked to people, we said, well, what do you want? So we've got two tracks, as I said, this is the track for the person that isn't looking for the degree program in this topic yet, right? They're just looking for an overview, an orientation. And what we've done is we've given them several ways to kind of enter into the world of getting ready. One of them is, the before, during, and after activities, okay? With links embedded, we research the most prevalent questions we get, the information people are looking for the most on Google, the things that they wanna know about, and then we sliced in even further, if you go to the next slide, Sarah, 
And we came up with kind of two buckets of informational needs. So we come at it from a timing standpoint, what to do before, during, and after. And then we also package up the top upgrade and retrofit recommendations. Because remember, according to the National Association of Home Builders, 50% of all of our homes were built before 1980 in the United States. Now, obviously that's gonna vary by area, but 38% were built before 1970. So what was different about the way we built in 70, in 1980, and even in the year 2000, building codes. And that's a whole another area of conversation we can talk about um, because our building code data set backstops this new website. But on these payroll pages where you get the kind of easy button you get two things. You get, in this section, you get the top upgrade recommendations based on data and consumer questions. You also get the lowest cost options. And you get these in a snapshot so that you're not completely overwhelmed by the deep dive that you can take if you run down the other track with the new website. So let's go to the next page and I'll just give you a sense of this. So. We basically, again, we researched and, and it's so hard, you know, terminology across our, our uh, partnership and our disaster safety resilience movement, people call different things, um, you know, preparedness. And that could be a catch-all or it could be something very specific, say, for example, if you're at FEMA. What we came up with is these three buckets, plan, strengthen your home, and recover, okay? Within these um, areas, you can dig as deep as you want into every, and this is backstopped by our library of articles. We have approximately 500 articles we vetted and checked and against benchmarking against what people have asked us over the last 25 years. What's the information people are seeking? And so we, we crafted this breakdown this way so that the person that really wants to dig in and you can do a lot of um, filtering, you can filter by cost, you can filter by timing and, and all different kinds of things. So when we did this first, okay, because based on the research, this is what people told us they wanted. Help me, you know, navigate this giant world of, you know, and, and remember, if you have hurricane, you, it's not just like one peril per location, right? You may have and probably do have flood, hurricane, tornado, combo pack of perils. So you have to kind of aggregate all this and it becomes overwhelming. Consumers have told us for years, hey, it's too much, it's too much. I can't do it, I'm not gonna do anything. And that's when you run into problems with bias where people just step back and say, I, I can't. And that's the signature driver behind giving people top recommendations or free and low cost recommendations. We want them to come down the path to a disaster resilient home by just getting started with the simple stuff and to just build up that confidence and that sense of accomplishment because your home is unlike your car. Every home is different. Even the homes that are supposed to be the same if built by different subcontractors are going to be different. So it just becomes overwhelming for consumers. And most of our work is in how to make this journey um, successful. And so that's what the new website is all about. Um, Sarah, I think at this point before, when, um, as you guys know, we do a lot of promotion. You talked about turnaround, don't drown, Bill. We have a new promotion this year. 
And um, I'm not going to show you the promotional PSA yet. Let's go ahead and do a little bit on the website, Sarah, and then we'll come back and show the PSA and um, everything else. Okay, so here's the site live. And as you can see, um, you've got all the different um, perils at the top. And of course, I have to put my glasses on now. Um, we've got the peril pages, prepare your home, our partners. Let's just scroll down this home page here. Nice, clean design. Now stop right there for one second. Where it says prepare for disasters and we've got the peril buttons right above it, you see enter your address. And you're gonna see that embedded throughout the site. This is what takes you down the more deep dive path because you can put in your address. And let me talk a little bit about what's behind this. For the last five years, we've been working very intently and leading building code status transparency for the nation. We're very fortunate to partner with FEMA and Homeland Security and the Code Council and Veris to create an amazing data set that tells us what building codes are adopted and where. The new flash.org combines the power of that data set with another data set we participated in development and maintenance of, which is a retrofitting database. So basically, um, putting in your address into the site is going to take you to a much more custom experience because we're going to be able to calibrate your building code against the retrofits by the age of your home. Okay, so let me run down the rest of the homepage and then we'll put in somebody's address and see what we get. So here you have um, some different products we have. We have a buyer's guide to resilient homes and that will take you to that guide. Keep going, Sarah, if you would. Thank you so much. Here's something about our programs. You guys will probably see pictures of yourselves on here, guys. Um, some of the different products, the National Disaster Resilience Conference, everyone on this, of course, you're all invited to come and join us. Our building code project that I mentioned is called No Code, No Confidence, inspectorprotect.org. And that's the building code solution to that is the um, inspectorprotect.org building code lookup tool where you can look across the country. Down here, keep going. We've got our partners listed, which I showed you guys some of those before, how to become a partner and then keep going. We've got just pictures of all the different fun things we've done over the years and the different folks um, and then our newsroom. So Sarah, if you go back up, let's go ahead and put in an address. And this will take you to that other part I showed you, plan, strengthen, and recover. And you can spend a lot of time playing in here and finding things. And again, for the listeners, if you guys have articles or suggestions, we are listening, you know, send us some things. All right, so we have a Tallahassee address. We have a good building code in Florida. It's statewide and it's current. Um, and then you've got, if you go down to plan, basically we talk about all the different things that you can do. And then we categorize the steps. So if there's each article is a link within those different buckets, okay? We always talk about insurance because as you know, the time to check your insurance is when the weather is good. Um, know your zone, planning for safety, take care of your pets. These are all the pre-disaster steps that we want people to take, all right? And then when you go to strengthen when you go back up, okay, now this is where the filtering comes in very handy. You say, okay, I'm setting aside a budget to strengthen my home, but it's only going to go so far. We don't put in actual dollars because with commodities, 
the numbers change and fluctuate. We follow the same federal type of range where we give cost and impact rank, you know, dollar signs up and down, kind of like a restaurant, right? And people seem to understand that this aspect to it. And you can say, okay, I'm looking for the highest impact at the lowest cost, right? That kind of thing. And then go to resilient upgrades and then it's going to know, okay, that, okay, you're in Florida and I looked at your address. You may want to look at maybe upgrading in Tallahassee. Our garage doors here have to meet the um, wind resistant standard, but there's one level higher windborne debris impact resistance, which is re required in Miami. So it's saying, okay, you might want to brace yours because debris impacts, um, you know, it's graduated strength of garage doors and it figured that out. Okay. And so flood protection, because we have flooding here too. So it's going to give you that custom experience so you can drill down into it. And then on recover, Sarah, if we want to go over there, thank you for doing this, Sarah. We have a couple things here. If we want to see if anything comes up here, just give some general guidance. One of the keys to this is, and this is something people have told us for years. Why didn't anybody tell me that while I was re-roofing was an ideal time to do some things differently? The key here is this so-called sealed roof deck, putting another layer of a continuous membrane across the roof deck before you put on your shingles, right? And how much water resistance it can save you if a windstorm blows your shingles off the next time. So we're giving you guys some recommendations here. Okay, you've had the experience, the disaster has caused damage, but we're going to give you some recommendations on how to um, recover, including how to file the claim, how to clean up safely. Reminders about things like sandbags. People need to remember that sandbags, once they've served their purpose, become toxic because of all the contaminated water that runs through them. And so they need to be disposed of very carefully using gloves and different kinds of um, protective measures. So that is the big um, quick snapshot flyover of the new website. I wanna go back to the slides for a second and show you guys, this is something that I think we um, previewed, Alex at the conference with you and Tim, the um, Groovy campaign this year, because while our information is technical and reliable and important and backed by the best engineering and academic and other scientific research in the country, we recognize that we have to compete for people's attention. So we have created a new campaign. Sarah, if you want to go ahead and play our new PSA, it's 30 seconds. Your home may be groovy, but is it safe? If your home is retro, it needs to be retrofitted, fit for today's harsh weather and hurricanes. Just enter your zip code or address into Inspect to Protect. With inspectoprotect.org, you can find the updates needed to bring any age home up to today's standards. Retrofits that could save your home and your family. Make your groovy house fit for hurricane season with inspectorprotect.org. So this spot is at inspectorprotect.org. You guys can download all these if you're doing promotion. And Barry um, asked a question at Alex and Tim's conference about a Spanish version. There is now a Spanish version. It is available as well. So please use this to help people get started because the journey to resilience starts with understanding your building code. 
and what it does or does not provide, and then you can close the gap. So I think I'm gonna stop there. If we have time in the question and answer, ask me about some of the grant programs around the country for retrofitting, because we're actively supporting many of those. Oh, great. That's just fabulous, Leslie. The new website and, and uh, making it operational is, is quite a task. It's kind of like the building of the cathedral in Barcelona, you never really get done. And that my first question actually is, how do you, what's your process at Flash to, to keep the, the databases current that are feeding uh, the sites that people go to to get information since you're getting new stuff in almost all the time now? So there's a quarterly engineering for on the building code, for example, for the building code data set, every quarter we get an update that we both contribute to and then take back. We have one pot of data and we have three different sources of input and updates. So we're continuously scrubbing the country, talking to building departments, what, you know, what building code do you have, et cetera. And then we all collaborate to directions to make sure that the building code status updates are correct and then we do those each quarter plus we get ground truth from building officials that'll send us a note say hey i just updated we just adopted the 2021 and um, please update mine now so that's what we do with the building code with the retrofit recommendations those are pretty steady i mean we've known how to build a strong home for a long time we just don't always do it. So those don't change as much, but those are looked at quarterly as well. The biggest driver of updates to for, uh, engineering recommendations is after disaster. So Hurricane Ian, the uh, FEMA mitigation assessment team went out and I'm actually a reviewer for the report. We just finished the 75% draft. And once that's published, any kind of big ahas out of the mitigation report following a storm and that type of damage, will be built into new codes, will be built into our recommendations. And so we continuously look for those things. Yeah, those are those are great. A plug for anyone that is looking at that kind of information. The the I use the post Harvey one. There's some great uh, photographic uh, uh, evidence with text to go along with it that really proves the newer construction holds up so much better than the old on the immediate coast. Every time. Uh, I actually had a question from a friend here that uh, uh, the retrofitting issues, uh, uh, is it cost effective to, or is it is it feasible to do uh, uh, upgrade an older house with uh, uh, the hurricane resistant windows? Well, the windows are your top of the line choice for protecting openings. And we say openings, right? Windows, doors, garage doors, even gable end vents. So impact resistant windows are excellent. Some people, still put shutters on top of them because they can break while they won't allow enough air for the wind to come in and pressurize your house you could get spider cracks but we do have a great tool at hurricanestrong.org and you can also pull it through the newflash.org we have a checklist and it's going to give you the least expensive um, opening protection all the way up to top of the line including impact resistant windows excellent uh, uh the um you mentioned the uh, grants thing right before you tossed it back to me. Uh, so there is, uh, there are are sources of help for people that want to do major league uh, retrofitting out there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So here in Florida, 
Uh, we did the original design in 05 and 06 for the My Safe Florida Home program, and that was reinstated last year. It's a matching grant program up to $10,000. So um, they put $150 million in last year, another $100 million this year. Those grants are getting snapped up quickly. But the inspections, there's still about 60,000 inspections available. They are free, and that gives you your recipe for what to do in a path. You know, start when you're re-roofing, do this, or start with openings. Louisiana's standing up a program. Alabama has a program. Mississippi's looking to get back into this kind of work. So there's those types of programs for people. But additionally, HUD, who provide billions of dollars, and FEMA, they provide billions of dollars post-disaster. They've started writing into their guidance mitigation opportunities. So you don't have to necessarily build it back the same exact way, which is the definition of insanity, if the, that way is old and outdated. They are allowing for mitigation upgrades in some of the big recovery funding dollars that they're putting out there, which is just a great realization that we have to build it better. Oh yeah, that was that, that was a flawed plan to begin with. It basically to told people it was okay to do the same thing over and over again. And it it didn't work. So I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I don't want to hog all the questions here. Hal, you look like you're chomping at the bit. What you got? Yeah, Leslie, fantastic presentation today. You mentioned 50% of the homes nationwide were built before 1980, 38% built before 1970. I think the concept is that older homes may not be built to code, may not be as storm ready as a newer home. But sometimes I travel into historic communities where someone says, look at my 100-year-old home. They used to build them so much better back then. Look at all the more nails they use per board and things like that. Sometimes I get confused because some people are saying the older construction was better, and then I often hear the newer construction is actually better. How do you um, make sense of that or give us perspective on where historic homes tie into this as far as the resilience of them? That's a great point, Hal. So think, I, I remember after Hurricane Charlie in 04, we built, we did a series of 13 episodes with Bob Vila and built, we did the tale of two homes and we looked at performance of new building code homes, which was stellar because they were built with the post-Andrew hurricane straps and ties. And then we looked at some historic homes there built in the 40s and in the 50s. And so it's really kind of interesting because you guys in the weather could, could track this. When we've had high and active hurricane seasons, our building codes have been better. Our practices have been better. Our designs have been better even. We, we didn't build gable end wall three-story wood-framed homes in a tropical setting when we had active decades of tropical weather. But what happened in the 70s and in the 80s got a little quieter, as you guys know, because 92 brought back Andrew, and that was the first big wallop in a while. The building practices, we our memories lapsed, let's say, and it affected the building practices. So you're right. Sometimes the historic homes are better, especially with respect to those basic connections. Because in, in hurricanes, it's two things. The connections that keep the structure together and then the roof. Um, now, remember on the older homes too, though, the, the effect of maintenance and aging. So your roof may have started out in 1940 and 50, just fantastic. But it depends on how well you've maintained it as well. But that's a great question. It's kind of an interesting thing to see the up and down of building performance. But in general, the other thing that happens in the codes is we get these innovative findings based on research from different organizations. Like the idea of putting a sealed roof deck on follows research done by IBHS that said without the sealed roof deck at certain wind speeds, you're losing your shingles. They're going, right? 
And that seam we leave in the deck for heat contraction and, and uh, expansion, they, they said you could get nine bathtubs of water per minute through that seam for the unprotected roof deck. So that's what, those are the kind of new things that happen that help, but that's a perfect question. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Leslie. You, we know the 20s, 40s, and 50s had very hyperactive seasons in Florida, so something maybe to think about. And like you said, then the 70s, 80s, 90s, besides Andrew, were pretty quiet. Tim, what do we got from the viewers? Viewers are impressed with the presentation today, Leslie. They're all just saying very valuable tool, great information. Uh, and so they're not asking hard questions. They're just complimenting you on, on your presentation today. So uh, congratulations on that. Really good stuff. I put my address in. And I'm pleased to report my building code is up to date, which you know surprised me. I, I, I didn't think that would be the case. So uh, I will not, Bill, I won't put hurricane bait in there, though, for uh, my beachfront property. I'm afraid to see what that'll find out. So uh, great stuff, Leslie. Leslie, please stick around um, for the second half, if you will, and uh, we'll get you and Barry involved together here uh, in the conversation in just a little bit. I want to thank all our sponsors who make this program a possibility, USAA, South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, The Weather Company, and Weatherboy, all folks that uh, come together to make NTWC Live possible. All right, the tropics are not completely dead, Bill. There's a little bit going out there today. What you got going on today? Yeah, it's first uh, first part of August here. It's time for me to chirp up and actually say something about it. So get my screen up here, uh, uh, find my stuff, get to a slide that means something. There we go. Uh, uh, our good friend, uh, Michael Lowry has a nice uh, uh, blog post he puts out that uh, that I like to uh, uh, use some of his stuff uh, from, but I'll give him credit for it down there in South Florida. This is a reminder that uh, uh, several things. Uh, the first two months of the hurricane season are generally uh, quiet compared to the rest of it. This year has been much more active uh, than the long-term average, but guess what? There's no correlation between uh, what happens the rest of the season and what happens in the first two months. Uh, the first 10 days of August are kind of a ramp up into the peak of the season. Uh, Michael put on here 80% of the hurricanes between now and mid-October. So uh, most of the show is uh, is still to happen for us. Uh, and if August gets going, uh, if you want to tell me a place that I don't have to worry about hurricanes in August, uh, I'll point you to this graph and say, uh, tell me where, uh, maybe Boston, okay? I'll go with that. Uh, for now, the Atlantic is uh, is uh, behaving uh, uh, real quietly. We've been following this. It went all the way up to a, a good chance of developing, and now it's down to 10% to next to nothing as it's getting ready to uh, uh, merge uh, with the frontal system, as you can see on the on the satellite loop here. The us uh, get this thing better. There we go. There it is. Now here's a frontal system, pretty strong for early August, going to pick it up. The rest of the tropical Atlantic has got a lot of dry air in it and some wind shear over uh, the Caribbean, hot dry air with the uh, sinking air from the high pressure over the Gulf of Mexico. And even though we have all our toasty water, there's just not a whole lot going on on the Atlantic side of the, of the ship here. Okay. But further east, it's uh, Eastern Pacific, as is many times the case, is active when the Atlantic is not. Talk about Dora in a minute. We've got a 70% chance of a storm developing off the coast of Mexico uh, anywhere from uh, the next uh, couple, uh, after the next couple of days on into the weekend and running parallel to the coast, but it's 
and comfortably close enough to the coastline that anybody planning trips down into Mexico, say from Puerto Vallarta up towards the uh, Cabo area, there's uh, need to keep an eye on that. Uh, and there is the Eastern Pacific. This hot mess is what's being uh, outlooked uh, for a couple of days from now. Uh, but then we'll talk to Dora, which is the of the more interesting uh, storms going on in our area now. And in the last few hours, uh, it, it tried to look like it was getting a stronger uh, signal on the uh, cold tops around the eye. Uh, it's a very tiny storm, probably only about 40 or 50 miles across in the hurricane force things, winds. But uh, uh, the forecast is, uh, is still showing it to become a major hurricane, go through some rapid intensification uh, today and be a major hurricane for about 36 hours and then maintain but a little weaker state of hurricane status as it moves westward across the uh, uh, the open ocean. If you want to talk about a big storm, we've had a typhoon out here in, in the uh, western Pacific. Uh, went through the uh, southern Ryukus, uh, mainly impacting Okinawa yesterday. It is slowly moving west-northwest in the East China Sea, and that's when things will get interesting again. But uh, I thought I'd show you what the radar was showing in uh, uh, off of Okinawa. Uh, what you can't see in the satellite is there's a, a double eyewall-type structure. Not sure whether it'll go through eyewall replacement or not, but that, I thought that was interesting in there. Uh, Okinawa has been under uh, uh, either typhoon or tropical storm conditions uh, for going on 48 hours now, and it really isn't over yet. Uh, there's the forecast out of the uh, Joint uh, Typhoon Warning Center. Uh, our storm's going to uh, slow down as it's moving west tonight, stall, and then recurve back to the east-northeast, and again come across the Ryukyu Islands uh, later on as a weaker typhoon and then a tropical storm. And let's see if I've got anything. Oh, yeah, just to show you, they're still uh, getting gusts of tropical storm force winds across the Ryukus and then down near Taiwan. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Hal, and we're going to find out what's going on in the world of Geotrek. Thanks, Bill, for the tropical update. Always great to hear your perspective there. Hey, y'all, with GeoTrek, we're traveling the world to find stories about extreme weather and natural disasters not covered by the mainstream media. We're trying to understand the physical processes behind these extremes, their impact on society, and what we can do to get out ahead of them to mitigate their losses. Well, y'all, check out the latest GeoTrek podcast. It's podcast number 76, just was uploaded yesterday. It's titled Women in Coastal Science with engineer Tiffany Stadden with the PEA group. This is part of the Women in Coastal Science seminar series that's being offered this summer in Galveston Island. There's six different seminars. And I went to the seminar last week with Tiffany Staden. She's a local engineer that works in the Houston-Galveston corridor. She talked a lot about flood resiliency. It was a really interesting talk. You can hear the audio feed on our podcast, wherever you, you can go to Apple or Spotify podcast, wherever you find podcasts. And something interesting she mentioned is after Hurricane Harvey in Houston, which is six years ago this month, there were a lot of changes in requirements for water detention. So when you picture impervious surfaces, these large hard surfaces like parking lots and roadways, the water can't drain in. Houston changed some of the requirements for water detention after Harvey. Now the ratio is almost one to one. 
So that means if you're a developer and you want to build a store with a two acre parking lot, the rain is not going to drain in that two acre hard parking lot. So you almost need to provide two acres of water detention for that two acre parking lot. It's adding a lot of cost to these projects. Tiffany felt like it's not uh, arresting or, or stopping development, but it's causing people to kind of uh, take a perspective and be surprised and really change their budgets around. But it's something that we have to do. You know, we, we saw with Hurricane Harvey, 40, 50 plus inches of rain in Houston Metro, terrible issues with runoff. And so she shared some perspectives, really talking about water detention, talking about infrastructure and drainage and how we can think about this. I think Houston's a good example because it's a very large metro area that's impacted by severe floods. What Houston do maybe, maybe um, what Houston does maybe followed by small to mid-sized cities around the country. So an interesting conversation. And it was really cool as well to, to talk about emerging women in uh, coastal sciences and, and just how more and more women are involved in coastal science, engineering, meteorology, climatology, oceanography. We actually had a 13-year-old girl attend the uh, seminar last week. Her family was on vacation from Fort Worth, and they made the decision on vacation to bring their daughter to the Women in Coastal Science uh, seminar. So pretty cool stuff, really great work that they're doing with that seminar series. And again, you can hear all about it on the latest GeoTrek podcast. Bill, thanks a lot for um, shooting that over to us. I think that's pretty much everything we have with the GeoTrek update. Thanks everyone for uh, tuning in. All righty, Hal, it's your turn to introduce our next guest. Yeah, fantastic. You know, y'all, we have a treat this week. Barry Goldsmith is back with us. Barry, we enjoyed your insights uh, last week on the broadcast. Barry is the warning coordination meteorologist at the National Weather Service office in Brownsville, Texas. He has also held positions at the National Weather Service in Tampa and Baltimore, Washington offices. He played an instrumental role in his career, making sure Congress backed the expansion of Doppler radar technology nationwide. Barry, welcome to NTWC Live. Yeah, good morning, Hal, and thanks again to uh, Bill and Tim uh, and Alex, of course, for the invitation to do a doubleheader, uh, having been here last week and being back this week. and. Really appreciate the time. So uh, switching gears a little bit from what we talked about last week, which was the Cuba to Brownsville hurricane. I'm going to also be looking at some resilience regarding windstorms and uh, underserved, very vulnerable, exposed communities. No, fantastic. You know, Barry, I was surprised. I know everywhere on the coast is vulnerable to wind impacts, but you were sharing last week, there may be really heightened and enhanced wind vulnerability in South Texas because of the lack of building codes and maybe people with economic struggles that are just trying to survive on the day by day and maybe have not built um, that that prepared of a home in that region of the country. Yeah, and if you will, I do have some slides I can share and kind of walk through to describe the situation, as well as some plans that we have underway to maybe get things uh, in an interim fix, if you will, to allow some of these buildings to survive better, and more importantly, the people to survive in them if they choose to stay during a hurricane. So if I could share my screen, I'll show a few of those slides. Yeah, that sounds great, Barry. We'd love to see it. So I'm going to play from here and... Start with this. So in South Texas, we have neighborhoods known as colonias, and the initial development here is the key. Makeshift shacks, repurposed vehicles, poorly built mobile homes. These are not manufactured homes. These don't even qualify in most cases as the pre-1976 trailers. Um, what we see in the colonias is thousands of these buildings go up, 
And within a year or two, amenities are required for basic living uh, by the counties that they're in. So potable water, sewer, electricity, and improved roads. But the housing quality lags often by several years. Ultimately, though, a colonial will will transition to a suburban type subdivision like we see in uh, many cities in this country outside of downtown cores, and they do include better structures. But this is what we've seen um, over the last decade. And most of these are from severe thunderstorm winds, but the one on the lower left was from Hurricane Hannah in 2020. And when we did our survey, the winds we saw, we rated below hurricane force that caused in all these cases, heavy destruction or complete demolition of the building. And the lower right corner one is the most kind of tragic and, and heartfelt in a way. Uh, this is one of those buildings that really may not even qualify as manufactured or even mobile based on the prior definition. And there's a family of four that is now in an uninhabitable place. They, they can't really rebuild that building, but the wind speeds again, estimated below hurricane force. So you'd think that was something that we'd be fixing uh, because that event happened in 2014, but no, it's still happening. Uh, this event here was what, like I mentioned, there's an old RV and they attached basically sheet metal and not very well constructed or anchored and it all got blown away, but the family survived. So my question then becomes, what if that RV had rolled? There's a family of four or six in there. How do they survive without injury or worse? So that was the nightmare that almost was. This here is the nightmare that was. Looking at the radar, now you see a small line, but notice the southeast corner there, a little swirl comes up. And the reason I'm bringing up a spring event here is that in tropical cyclones on those outer and mid bands, you may very well see uh, a swirl that becomes an EF0, EF1 tornado. And in this case, the unfortunate situation in red was that EF1 tornado caused one tragic fatality and 11 injuries. And what's kind of scary still is that this was near the coast. Literally, this community known as Laguna Heights is on Laguna Madre, which is a bay uh, that has um, wind, windstorm code for new construction in cities to be required. But unfortunately, the what if became what was when we were looking at these events that we had seen in the past, we now had a mass casualty event. And this is what it looked like. So, you know, on the left is where the fatality occurred, but you can see there's a rolled over trailer. There's construction against it that was completely flattened by the winds. Here's another one to the right. There were six of these buildings and was there any code applied to them? No. In fact, people driving by that area have said over years, this is an eyesore of a community. That's not good enough for our future. We need to do better on this. I like to say here, momentum is building. Uh, that's kind of a slogan I came up with to do better, which means we are trying to build better and ultimately save lives. So quickly in 2016, we had resiliency rallies in counties where the churches and local emergency management and even some big box hardware stores got involved, where they showed examples of how to put a tarp on your roof and how to do better nailing, um, which is basically bracing and connectors 
to the roof structure. And this occurred in 2016, but we lost some momentum uh, due to human resources and ultimately the pandemic when we were planning to restart in 2020. But here's a case right here I want to talk about. In a colonia, uh, it's actually not too far from where Tim lives, on the west side of Edinburgh. And on the left side, you have a manufactured home. The roof is partly damaged. There's a front side of it, maybe a living room that's completely blown off. And across the street, you have building B, which appears to be built probably withstand 120 mile per hour wind, including the steel reinforced fence. So we know we need to get to A from A to B, and that's a lot of what Leslie talked about earlier. But how do we give A a chance for safety in the meantime? So obviously we want to get some of these things fixed. Anchors, braces, and connections are the ABCs of smart construction. And maybe with a little bit of elbow grease, meaning, you know, getting to it from the communities themselves helping to build, as well as relatively inexpensive tools and parts, um, we can get to a certain level. So I like to say the short-term wind goal is improving wind resilience from 60 to 90 mile per hour in all substandard buildings. And we know that what <clears throat> Blast is doing to help out, what Fortified Home is doing, what Habitat is doing, is great um, but there's a lot of expense involved when you build new construction and that expense doesn't necessarily exist in these communities where people are barely making ends meet just to put any roof over their head so we want to try to find a way to use private and public sector funds for low cost structural strengthening so in uh, November last year, we had a brainstorming meeting with uh, stakeholders. You can see a number of them here. This includes the media, that includes a computing center for the University of Texas, which is interesting because they do a lot of storytelling from people that get impacted by this. Uh, we have the Rio Grande Valley Development Council. You can see all the, the folks here, but they are invested in the Rio Grande Valley to try to find tangible steps to begin the resilience process. So the through lines that we came up with, starting point was outreach. We need to reach out to these communities. But, you know, how do we do that? Well, a meteorologist like me, who is an Anglo in a very Hispanic area, who speaks poquito espanol and not part of the culture, is not going to be the person to convince these folks to do it. But third parties that do work directly in the colonias are trusted connections. And we have a number of the names here, uh, which I'll discuss a little bit later. But these folks are all involved deeply in the community. They speak the language, they speak the culture. And then from there, we'll bring in trusted local experts in inexpensive building repairs to build the resilience. So for example, a trusted hardware store could be uh, used. Now, it might not be the ones you think of off the top of our heads, like Lowe's and Home Depot. Down here, the folks in these colonias, they go to a local trusted store to buy the materials that they're using now to build whatever slap dash they can put over their house, their heads. They feel that they're qualified to do that, but they need a little more education. So we can bring these hardware stores in. These are local names here, Mott's, Los Pinos, and they can help uh, educate and, and uh, provide the materials at low cost. And then finally, of the community, by the community, for the community. We could do storytelling through public service announcements to communicate the need to build the resilience to the substandard construction. So you take a residence who may have had a home that was slapped together, not anchored down, doesn't have braces, has a rusted um, tin or sheet metal roof, and they replace all those things 
at a low cost. They can show their neighbor, hey, look what I've done. My house is now resilient to around 90 mile per hour winds, not just 60 anymore. So while there will be some damage, it won't be damage free in an EF1 tornado or let's say a category one hurricane, the building will still stand. And we hope that people could evacuate ahead of time, but they may not have the means to do so. So if they can huddle in and stay in that building, assuming there's not a flood issue, of course, and that's a whole other ballgame I won't discuss here, then at least they will survive and we won't have to deal with another Laguna Heights situation during an event like a stronger Hannah. So these are the action items. Outreach would be short term, but continuous. Research is short and medium term. We need to find out how the communities tick. Why do they, for, for example, buy satellite television dishes over strengthening their home? Why do they have a late model vehicle in their driveway versus spending some of that money on anchors, bracing, and connections? We need to find out why. And then funding, short, medium term, you get some funding at low cost and then the education that goes with it to help these folks build a better in the meantime before they can actually have a full new well-constructed home uh, done in that, that community. And then political is a big deal, short, medium, long term. As you may know or may not know, the state of Texas rural areas does not have a set building code. We are not Florida. We're not doing what Louisiana is doing currently. Um, so without that, and that may not happen for a while, if ever, how do we find ways to mitigate the best we can until we can get all the homes done at some point in the future? So the PSA is something we'd like to get done either this autumn or next winter. And then we want to do research into what we mentioned before, the physical construction, or what I call structural resilience, and the cultural, which is partly the knowledge resilience. And then think about funding, you know, it's it's often provided for full scale projects, new construction to code, but it can take years. And right now we're only doing fractional building for all these structures. So example, let's say we have five to 10,000 very substandard buildings to fix up. Well, we may only be building 500 to 1,000 new well-constructed two code homes, and that's still well short over the course of a two or three year period. Again, politically, we need champions at the local, state, and federal level to understand the importance of the short-term risk reduction and promote better building practices from the start. So what do we do for next steps? Well, funding is really key. State, federal government, the Texas Division of Emergency Management, that's what TDEM stands for. Uh, the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs exists to help out. On the federal level, we have FEMA, we have the Health, uh, Health and Human Services, HUD, we mentioned that before. There's academia that can help too. There's a charm process through Texas A&M that looks at um, both wind and flood resilience. And then the non-governmental organizations, Smart Home America Fortified, a flash as we know in the room today with Leslie and others. There's a group called EchoWise, Team Rubicon, Habitat for Humanity, and there's more locals that we will discuss. And then if you didn't know it, this is fairly new. It came out as an announcement at the end of June, but it's the NOAA Climate Resilience Regional Challenge, and it's targeted towards coastal community resilience. And there's two tracks of grant funding. One is more of an educational track that many of our organizations and the third party groups are involved with, and they are in the process of putting what's called a letter of intent 
to get perhaps up to $2 million in grant money to help with additional research, to help with additional uh, basic understanding of what needs to be done. The second track is actually the resilience building in the physical sense. So spending money to help at a minimum provide those materials to build some of that coastal resilience um, a lot of it is geared towards the coast itself, meaning resilience to surge, resilience to flooding from hurricanes. But we're looking at the windstorm resilience, too, um, as a uh, element. So we have one, if not two groups, maybe three down here in the valley that are going to apply for these uh, grant uh, stipends, if you will. And there will be 40 to 45 uh, given in the year 2024. So it's a competitive funding opportunity. You have to compete to get it. Uh, but it's great to see the administration through the Inflation Reduction Act providing uh, this kind of funding to at least get the ball rolling and started in these uh, very uh, substandard homes and, and very vulnerable exposed communities. So down here, who do we have in right now? Well, Proyecto Azteca is a group that builds these houses like the one I showed you from A to B. They help to build the B, but they want to find ways of getting the interim construction done so that until B is done, the A can be strong enough to withstand winds up to 90 miles per hour. Um, we have other groups here too that got the ball rolling. Uh, the Texas General Land Office has mitigation funding. And um, again, these are state and local for the most part, but we'd like to get more involved. So who's next on the right? Obviously, we have Flash mentioned earlier, Fortified Home Habitat. There's a group called Come Dream, Come Build. They are valley-wide, but they do a lot of that kind of work to build the homes that need to get done. Proyecto Juan Diego is in Brownsville. They do serve the valley. They can help with some of the interim construction with some of the funding. And of course, I mentioned you as in people who are at these meetings to help uh, be force multipliers and, and get the word out. So with that, I will stop sharing and open it up for any questions that you may have for me. Very fantastic presentation. What's the geographic footprint of this program? And do you have any estimate of the number of substandard houses? Are there tens of thousands in your area, hundreds of thousands? Do you have any idea? So we're hoping it's not hundreds of thousands. I think a honest answer would be up to 10,000, maybe a little more than that, certainly in the thousands, because what we see is as soon as a colonia becomes a subdivision where you get either at code or closer to code, one or two new colonias sprout up across the valley. And again, they, they may be migrant workers, they may be undocumented, they may not be, the children may be American citizens, but it's still people on soil that we wanna protect from what happened in Laguna Heights. Interestingly about Laguna Heights, the vast majority of people there are American citizens. This is not an immigration issue for them. This is a lack of, of resolve and will to change what was an eyesore into a much better community near the coast to withstand these windstorms. So that was really a tip of the spear event that I think gained some momentum to get deeper into these communities. And hopefully we can say, let's find the funding, find the local help, the regional national help to get us to at least 50% where we can get 60 to 90 and not just fractional because in the end game we want it to be all built like that home b right but that's not happening today or tomorrow that takes three five seven years to get done and the next laguna heights the next hurricane hannah could be around the whole corner and we just i just don't want to see another mass casualty event on a bigger scale than what we saw in laguna heights because then the questions get asked like why hasn't this been addressed 
And so we're trying to get all these groups to organize and uh, marshal together the resources to address it. Thanks, Barry. Bill, Tim, any questions? Uh, yeah, the uh, I'm glad to see uh, you had Habitat on your who, who's next there. They seem to have a pretty good business model for, for building resilience in a cost-effective manner. Uh, I know they wouldn't want to take on that many houses all at once there, but maybe their business practices could be incorporated into what you all are trying to do down there uh, to, uh, to give you a, a methodology for getting the job done. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, you know what, all the building groups, including Proyecto Azteca, their main thing is building houses like Habitat does or like Fortified does. But in the interim, there's not enough money. I mean, they're offering buildings for $80,000 to communities that barely make $200 a week, you know, and they're saving that cash for their children, putting food on the table. And again, some of the creature comforts that they're spending on that may not be going into some kind of interim fix. So we can get, I like to say, let's get to 90 and have lesser costs to get more of these buildings, let's say retrofitted to a point while in the meantime, Fortified, Habitat, Flash, others can come in and help with the full, Proyecto can come in with the full house and spend the years needed so that ultimately in the course of a decade or so, this is erased and we have all the buildings at or near code, but there's a long time to get from A to B. So we have to get from, well, maybe we'll use a different letter, but A to uh, another level of A that's that's stronger. And so we think we can do that at lesser cost with some of these grants and other funding that can come in to at least buy us some time. Tim, any questions come in online? Well, yeah, some from online, some just from me living in the community. And Barry, you, you see, you've been in these colonies, you know that from point A to point whatever is almost an impossible task because some, some of these homes, as you mentioned, there is no getting there, you know, they're just so substandard. I talked to a county commissioner the other day, oh no, we have no building code, you know, we have none. And people, these unscrupulous developers just go find an open field and put a gravel road in and they put, you know, lean-tos out there and there's no fixing them. They almost need to tear them down and start over, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the examples that I showed in, in both Laguna Heights and that April 29th case, I mean, it's a really bad situation. What, what's interesting about April 29th that we found out by talking to Proyecto Azteca, who was getting out there to help them put something better down in the meantime, is that there were workers there, only spoke Spanish, but there were holes that were part of the trailer base, if you will, that were meant for anchor cables. And they didn't know what those holes were for. They didn't know that they, they were meant for anchoring cables to be into the ground to at least keep that building up. So that's what the educational process is. So it's a it's a big mountain to climb, but I don't think it's insurmountable. We just have to have the effort and the will to do it so we can avoid more Laguna Heights events. It's almost a generational thing. We need to do this now for the next generation because it's going to take that long, uh, but it's doable. Um, we do have a question coming in. We're just about out of time. We've got a question. Uh, I think this is is for Leslie, but you know, Barry. Ultimately, in the long range, you can you can jump in on this too. But uh, it's how does the, the public find these available grants, Leslie, that you were talking about uh, to do the upgrades to their homes, and then and how do they apply for them? 
So it just depends where you live. Most of the programs are um, that I'm aware of are at the state level, but for example, in California for wildfire mitigation, they have a lot of really great local programs. For anybody on this broadcast, they can just email us, info at flash.org and tell us the geographic area and we'll take a look and see um, if we can run a scan. We have a partnership with the National Association of Insurance Commissioners and the insurance commissioners tend to be the ones at the state level that are leading these initiatives. And we're just finishing a paper actually it's due today on these programs. We have a great inventory. So we're very current on where they are. So just, just send us an email and we will um, see what we can find. Terrific. Thank you. And and Barry, one last, I have one last question for you, and then we can kind of wrap this up. We talked a lot about South Texas, obviously, in your presentation. Is this a unique area in that respect, or are there other places in the country that have been through this and done this? It seems to me it's a pretty unique uh, program and a pretty unique problem. Yeah, we're trying to get it started here because we have so many uh, building stock neighborhoods. There's over 950 colonias in Hidalgo County alone, which dwarfs these kind of neighborhoods that, that are dotting the border from San Diego, Tijuana, all the way down to the lower Rio Grande Valley. We are number one. So we see so many of these buildings. Um, but my colleague in Shreveport, he's now actually in Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, he did some discussion about a tornado that killed people in another substandard trailer uh, in the, uh, I forget which county Louisiana it was, but in Northwest Louisiana. We know this exists in Arkansas. We know even Oklahoma has some of these cases. So it's a nationwide issue. We just happen to be a, a tip of an interesting spear because of the border, because of so many lean-tos, not even using like a prefab 1976 trailer. They're just finding whatever they can find. And that's the first thing I noticed when I got here was a school bus and an Airstream were being used for homes. And the surveys I did in Florida and the Mid-Atlantic, I didn't see that before. That was new. So there's a lot of work to be done, but it can be extended nationwide. And not a new school bus either. And, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. Barry, thank you. Great stuff today. We appreciate it. Any final thoughts, Barry? We'll go around the horn real quick. Yeah, I'll just go to add on to what Leslie said. There is money available that can come trickling down this IRA, Inflation Reduction Act money from the communities. They have to apply for it through letters of intent and then ultimately put a grant up if they're accepted. And that's very detailed they have to provide. Um, there's also state money available from the, in Texas, from the Texas General Land Office or GLO. They... Um, usually are doing recovery funding. So as we mentioned earlier, don't build back the same way you did before. There is money there, but I also found out this spring that there is mitigation funding available. I don't know how much or how that gets dispersed, but there is some way of getting some funding through the state to help in this cause. We'll be working on that angle as well as we move forward with this project. Thank you, Barry. Great job today. We appreciate it. Leslie, wrap up your end of the things and talk about uh, your website one more time. Come and see us at flash.org. Give us your feedback, your suggestions. Tell us your story so we can share it. And in any way we can help you, we're open source. If we have something you need to help tell this story, just let us know. We would be happy to share. Terrific. Uh, Dr. Hal Needham, as, as Dan Patrick says, what do we learn today? You know, there's so much gloom and doom in the weather and climate news, and I think both Barry and Leslie brought a message of hope and actionable items that people can take. Uh, just thank you both so much for coming on the broadcast today. I think it was fantastic. Great job, Hal. Thanks for your insight, Bill. Final thoughts? Add on to what what uh, Hal just said there. I was thinking so, along the same lines that uh, just how far we've come in, say, 30 years on, on dealing with uh, 
issues of uh, making more resilient homes. So I think it's to me, it's encouraging. I don't think we'll ever completely solve the problem, but we're finding pathways forward. We're on our way down the road and it's a long road. So good job. Thank you, everybody. Great program today. Really appreciate it. I think a lot of great insight and 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 some good resources that that we can all use. Put in your home address there and see what you find out. So good stuff. Thanks for our sponsors, part of the program, USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Weather Company, and Weather Boy. We hope to see you all on South Padre Island, April of 2024 at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel. We'll be back there with another live version of the National Tropical Weather Conference. Next week on the program, Dr. Phil Klotzbach's with us with his seasonal uh, update. Uh, you know, if you were with us uh, previously, the numbers went up. We'll see if they go up even more as we head into August and see where we're headed in this hurricane season as we get toward the peak of it. So thank you, everybody, for being with us today. We'll see you again next Wednesday on NTWC Live. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of NTWC Live Hurricane Center Podcast. If you did, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And join us next week. This is NTWC Live.